Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth and at around 7.30 a.m. this morning, we all got some news that I don't think I was expecting. I don't think any of us were expecting that Bill Belichick, Mr. No Days Off himself, canceled the final day of Patriots minicamp practice. The players were at the facility, but no practice on Thursday. Really bad rains this morning in the Foxborough area, probably a contributing factor there. There were also a lot of them, Bill Belichick included, with you at the Celtics game last night, Alex. So maybe that was a contributing factor as well. But no minicamp today. So we had a two-day Patriots minicamp, and that's it. That's all she wrote. All the OTAs also canceled for the rest of the spring. So we'll see in training camp. And I I don't want to make a huge deal out of them canceling the uh, OTA practices, because that's pretty standard. You and I had talked a little bit off the air about whether or not they were going to hold those two practices quite a bit. So I'm not shocked at all by them canceling Monday and Tuesday's practice sessions. I assume that they felt like they could get some things done in the building today, whether it was walkthroughs or film study or whatever the case may be, that they didn't have to get out there on the practice field necessarily but still a little bit of a surprise to wake up to that news this morning that practice had been canceled yeah and look they're not the only team that that did it uh, yeah. you know quick research earlier i didn't dive through all 32 teams but i know the steelers giants and niners also canceled not just ota but many camp practices so those two i just i, I just did a, a a podcast right before this was our old friend trags and he was asking yeah. about it and, you know oh they canceled them what does it matter anyway they're spring practices the, the first couple OTAs, and we talked about it on the show, were kind of BS, right? I got to make sure I don't swear. You know, we're just some some unclassy Bostonians here. There'll be some kids around, Alex. Right. You know, I, I, I got to watch my language. I don't want to be considered not classy. We're just a couple of Boston scumbags. Um, those practices were kind of BS, those OTA practices. Those two minicamp practices, though, were – look, there, there weren't pads, right? They weren't in pads or anything like that, but for a spring practice – that's as full go as I've ever seen them. Yeah, I, I really right. felt like there was some stuff there and we talked about it on Tuesday and we'll talk about it more coming up here, but it really felt like we learned a little bit. It really felt like there was something you could sink your teeth into really take away. So, you know, if it's two practices at 70% or three practices at 40%, I almost feel like the two at 70 are better, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if any, what's four times three is 120. Yeah. So in two at 70 would be 140. So the math even checks out. Um, I yeah I, I I thought those were two really good practices and if I, I players are in the day off I'll give it to them the players are in the day off yeah it it's interesting because we've heard some rumors you mentioned about San Francisco I believe was one of those teams that canceled a mini camp practice as well yeah. or their final mini camp practice in Chicago they actually were stripped in OTA yeah that's different for it being too intense which I thought was interesting but what we heard from Devin McCourty this morning about really going back and forth, right? Really having the offense make a good play, the defense make a good play. And his point was that good teams have the ability for both sides of the football to kind of throw haymakers. And I thought we saw some of those haymakers, maybe more so a little bit 
towards the offense. I, I thought the offense held, held a little bit of an upper hand in the two days of mini camp that we saw, but all in all an intense couple of days down at Gillette and certainly in early summer is not is nothing to be concerned about. I, I think we can agree on that, that there's no cause for alarm because Bill Belichick decided that enough was enough with the spring program. But I want to get into some of the details what we saw yesterday, we were on the show on Tuesday. So we recapped some of the things that happened on day one, but day two, and then just the two days as a whole, I think if there's one overarching positive theme that I keep coming back to through all the discourse, through all the detail, it's that Mac Jones had two really strong days of practice. And I, I want to be careful to not get into too much hyperbole over mini camp practices oh. in June. I'm sorry. But, you, you called it the best practice he ever had on Tuesday. I think the ship has sailed on that one. I, I thought Tuesday was one of the best practices I've ever seen them have in a Patriots uniform. Certainly. Nah, With, eh, eh, one of you said the best you said, the, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to keep you honest here. All right. I'm not picking on right, you. I just, best, for the people, for the best practice on Tuesday, but I think what stood out among all of it is and the reason why I was so bullish on his practice on Tuesday is we are seeing a Mac Jones that is legitimately confident in his arm to push the football down the field. And granted it isn't these 11 on 11s with barely a pass rush and seven on sevens with literally no pass rush. Right. So we'll have to see if it translates to a live rush, but his willingness to see one-on-one -on -one matchups on the outside and go ahead and push and attack the football down the field uh, with those one-on-one -on -one matchups, and be able to put the ball in some really good places for his receivers. I think it's really easy to see that Mac Jones's deep ball has improved. How much has it improved? That we'll have to see, right? Once we get into November, December, January, especially when the weather starts to get a little bit nasty, we'll see how much that velocity and deep ball has really improved. But based off the eye test of what we saw for two days, I had him down for eight of 10 on 20 plus yard throws in the two mini camp practices. He was on fire throwing the football down the field. We can obviously get into some of the guys that caught those passes as well. But if you're a Patriots fan and you're looking for something to hang your hat on about this team moving forward, the quarterback, I think is the biggest thing that you can really be excited about. Yeah. And I, you know, even with the no pads, tight windows, a tight window, right. Doesn't yeah. matter how much you're hitting or not. And he was really testing some windows, both, in terms of coverage, you know, the, the coverage window is the one everybody thinks of, right? Where How close is the defense back to the receiver? And he had the one throw yesterday to Trey Nixon. It was also a great catch, but but they sent Trey Nixon straight up the seam out of the slot. He's one-on-one -on -one with Jonathan Jones. I wouldn't say separated. He got a half a step ahead of him. Yeah. And Mac just put it over the top. And with John Jones on him, Trey Nixon, one hand, I mean, it was right there. Yeah. You know, but, but some other, what I would call window throws too, like, fades and high points right where it, the window's not necessarily the space between the the receiver and the defender but where you're kind of testing the wide receiver's catch radius right how big is the window where you can throw this ball away from the receiver that he can still go and make the play and i thought he had a really nice high point throw to uh Devontae parker on tuesday yeah he had another really nice high point throw to johnny smith on wednesday where i mean he's just kind of lofting the ball up and he knows the defensive back can't get there. It's it's either incomplete or the receiver's going to get it. And he kind of found that sweet spot the receivers could get to the ball. That's the big one for me. That was a throw 
you know, the, the, the ones where it's like close defensive coverage and you're just trying to lead the receiver a little bit. He made a lot of those throws at Alabama. The, the catch radius throws. I mean, the guys could separate enough that he didn't have to do that a ton. I'm not saying he couldn't do it. He just, there weren't a ton of examples of it in college. And yeah. so to see him come out and make a couple of those throws early on, that feels like a growth thing. And that is, and I, and I wrote this and, and we talked about this. Somebody asked us a couple of weeks ago, what are we looking to see, you know, most improve for Mac Jones? And I said, confidence, not that he wasn't confident yeah. before, but I think any guy from year one to year two, there's a certain comfort level. And between some of the throws he was testing and I would add the way he's reacting to those throws, sprinting up the field, chest bumping with the wide yeah. receivers, all of that. Especially Trey Nixon. Yeah. He, I, I think I forget if I said this last Thursday, if I said it on Tuesday, he feels like he's been here a while. It doesn't feel like he's only been here a year. The, the, yeah. Just his rapport with the receivers, both in terms of the, the route running chemistry and what they're doing in between the snaps. It feels like they've been together for three, four five years, not just, you know, really less than one. Cam was still the QB one at this time last year. So that, that, that's the biggest encouraging thing to me. It's just the across the board confidence had improvement has been excellent. Yeah. When you watch his tape at Alabama, which his last season there at Alabama, when they won the national title, that's, that's confidence on, on another level, right? That's high right. trophy level, national championship level stuff. One of the things that you consistently saw with Mac on tape. And I think that a lot of the draft discourse labeled his arm weak and, that he wasn't really somebody that pushed the football down the field. He pushed the football down the field plenty at Alabama. And he just gave his guys chances, right? He put the ball in good places. He knew that. He trusted guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and John Mechie to go up and get the football. And there was that confidence of attacking one-on-ones, right? He'd find the one-on-one and he'd put it on a dime and he'd let his receiver go ahead and make a play. And that's what we consistently saw out of him in these two practices. So in a lot of ways, I thought last year he was conservative. And I think rightfully so as a rookie quarterback, you're just trying not to sink the ship, right? You're not, you're trying not to have that fatal turnover. You're trying not to have that multi turnover game that loses your team a football game. And you're just trying to let the, the ship sail. Now he's got to be the driver, right? And I, I think what we saw in these practices is a confidence and a bravado that he can go ahead and make some of these throws down the field and push the football into some tight windows. And that was great to see. That's exactly what you wanted to see out of Mac Jones. You mentioned the throw to Johnny Smith, which was one of Johnny Smith's better catches I've seen in a practice out of him as well. Up over Kyle Duggar, kind of goes across the field, and Mac just throws it up to him, and Johnny Smith goes up above Kyle Duggar and puts him on a poster. Those types of plays, there's instances on tape where those one-on-ones or those opportunities to make that type of throw were on the tape last year, but he wasn't pulling the trigger because I think he was just trying to make the 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 safe play, right? He was trying to make the sound play. Well, in the National Football League, in order to really get that explosive passing game out of this offense – you got to take some chances with the football, right? You're, you're not, you're talking about smart chances though, right? We're not looking for right. 25 picks, but you have to take some calculated chances with the football. And I think we're seeing him have that confidence to do that more and more, whether it was to Janu, uh, he threw the one on the sideline and Nelson Aguilar with Jack Jones in coverage, obviously Trey Nixon caught three of those deep balls. You mentioned Devonte Parker on Tuesday. He caught one over Jalen Mills. Those types of passes take confidence. They take confidence and trust in the receiver also. They'll go ahead and make the play. 
I was really intrigued by what I saw with the offense. And, and we're going to get into some of the other pieces of the offense here too in a second. But I just want to also hit on as an overarching theme here, Alex, I think there's so much concern about the coaching staff, right? And, and what Matt Patricia right. and Joe Judge are doing and all these things. But honestly, uh, I came away from these two days feeling pretty good about the offense. And granted, these are passing camps and maybe they're a little bit skewed towards the offense performing well and things like that. But I still came away from these two days and I said, okay, I see it with Mac. I think that they actually have some receivers now that, that can threaten defenses and be a problem and be matchup issues. And I almost also see it with the scheme too. Like I think the streamlining, I think some of the zone stuff that they were starting to incorporate more of, I kind of like what I'm seeing from the offense. Like I I know that that's like a hot take because it's supposed to be a disaster and the whole building's supposed to be on fire because Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are are running the offense, but I see a a path. Like I see a plan here uh, to have a pretty good offense honestly if I have concerns it's probably on the other side of the football which we'll also get to in a few minutes but what where is your overall confidence level after two days of practice with the offense and what you saw out there I like the receiver group I I don't know that I feel differently I think I feel more confident in the belief I had going in that the receiver room is not the issue some people think it is they don't have the true number one but I think they're so deep that could play to their advantage yeah um my bigger concern is up front and we can't answer that. Like we can't answer that. They haven't been in pads, but what's Isaiah Wynn really going to look like at right tackle is Trent Brown going to laugh at left tackle, you know, Cole strange still love him getting in scrums, love him setting the tone. I think that, that, that kind of makes him a great fit, but he's still relative unknown. So the, the biggest issues for me are the, and this isn't to say it's going to be a problem. I'm just saying, I don't know, yeah. you know, we kind of came into this offseason thinking that the skill positions would be the big question mark. I feel really good about the skill positions right now. To me, the offensive line is a bigger question mark than the skill positions and the scheme thing. I'm still not in love with the Shanahan offense, especially if, like I just said, you have all this depth. Shanahan offense doesn't facilitate taking advantage of that the way the Earhart Perkins does. So those are where my questions are right now. In terms of skill position players, I feel pretty good. Oh, and by the way, Kevin Harris looks like a player. I know I was all in on on Pierre Strong early. I, on. I like both of them, honestly. I like both I of them too. But yeah, Kevin Harris, real the, the, for how well he moves, given his size and being a guy that recently had a back injury, it, it stuck out. It stuck out to me. So I love where they're at with the skill position players. I really do. It's it's the offensive line and the scheme that are the bigger questions for me as we start turning the page towards training camp. Yeah, I was listening to a clip of Mike Lombardi's podcast, and he was talking about the the play caller thing. And we've, we've talked about the play caller in every single direction. So I don't want to spend too much time on it, but what I thought, what he said, what Lombardi said, which I thought was really uh, head on was when you're the offensive line coach during games, you got a lot of adjustments and things that you have to do. I mean, how many times did we see Dante Scarnecchio huddle up the offensive line throughout the, his 20 plus years with the Patriots? I mean, more than that, but our 20, you know, 20 plus years right. watching Dante Scarnecchia, how many times did we see him on the sideline? How many times did we see Cole Popovich or Carm Brasillo on the sideline in recent years? It's a lot of responsibility. Now, maybe they're going to hand some of the game day adjustments and coaching off to Billy Yates and allow Matt Patricia to open up as a play caller. But Lombardi's point was that the 
what makes the most sense is to have Joe Judge call the plays, right? He's working with the right. quarterback, and he's the one that's going to have really the freedom on the sideline during games to be able to call the plays. It was it was Matt Patricia in 11-on-11s. It seemed like Joe Judge took over on 7-on-7, seven seven, which backs up a little bit of the pass game coordinator, run game coordinator theories that have been out there. But I found it interesting that Lombardi saw that as well, that Matt Patricia working with the offensive line, being the offensive line coach and calling plays, that's not usually a role that exists on many staffs. Like offensive line coaches have their hands full. So to put that on him and call plays, it's a lot. It's a lot of responsibility on one guy. So where do you stand with the play caller thing? I think at this time in June, it really when we see them out there relaying plays into the huddle, it means next to nothing about what's actually going on during the games uh, come September. But I thought that was an interesting perspective that the one that makes the most sense from the traditional setup of a coaching staff would definitely be Joe Judge at this point. Yeah, although, you know, there's reports out there that Patricia, you know, it's 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 leaning towards Patricia. I... I, I find it tough to have a take on it until we know who it is, right? I yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons Joe Judge makes more sense, but I'm also worried just kind of given some of the offensive philosophy in New York the last couple of years. But I I like I I still believe them when they say they don't know who it is. I still believe it's going to be an, an open competition, like a position battle or whatever you want to call it. So we'll see. It's tough. It's it's tough to an, to analyze without knowing who it's going to be. Yeah, it is tough to analyze. I just I, maybe it's Billy Yates. Like maybe Billy Yates takes on a lot of those sideline responsibilities for the maybe. offensive line in game, and Patricia is just focused on calling plays. But if he's trying to work with the offensive line and call plays all during games, in, that's a lot of responsibility on one man's shoulders. Uh, well, let's stick with the offensive line. We talked to Isaiah Wynn yesterday after practice. We both thought it was a little bit interesting the way that he came off in that press conference. Yeah. Every single time somebody asked him, I asked him a question about uh, was he informed about the move of moving over to right tackle before he showed up at Gillette this week. He was la- literally laughing at all of us. Like, I don't think he was laughing at us, but he was just kind of laughing about the situation or the questions. It was like a frustrated laugh. Like, oh, here we go. Yeah. It was really interesting to hear uh, some of his comments. He said, oh, if they, want me to play corner, I'll go play corner, right? If they want me to play, you know, wherever they want me to play, I'll play. I said that he wasn't thinking about his contract. He did say that he was happy or or satisfied with playing on the right side, like he was okay with it. But the laughing and the giggling and all that kind of stuff I thought was a little bit weird. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's the NBA Finals, the Celtics. Go Seas. Maybe you want to place a bet on Jason Tatum and the hometown team. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, Go Celtics, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball scores, and all the latest fighting news and even next season's early NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get that bonus and get into the action. Bet Online where the game starts. And uh, the second thing I would 
I would say about Isaiah when to tee this up is I, I still don't really fully understand why. Like, I don't understand the why to moving him over to right tackle at this juncture after he started basically every he has started every game actually i went back and looked the game that he played at left guard i think that he came in at left guard mid-game so i think that he's played or started every single game of his career at left tackle maybe sands with that one game at left guard and now you're going to move him over to right tackle it just it doesn't seem to add up to me like why do this now it's just a really kind of bizarre situation if you ask me and I'll say it again. I'm surprised he, well, I, I, I shouldn't say I'm surprised he's okay with it. We don't know how he, how okay with it he is, but for him in a contract year too, I mean, this is consequential. I don't know that he's going to get top 10 money when he hits free agency, but just as a point of reference here, I looked these numbers up yesterday. Actually, let me, let me pull them up here to make sure I get them right. Cause I know I texted them to you right before the Celtics game. Basically what I did is I took the average uh, AAV, for the top 10 left tackles in the top 10 right tackles in yeah. the NFL right now. Right. And again, I don't know that Isaiah Wynn gets top 10 money, but just to kind of show the disparity between the two positions, the, do you remember what they were? Can I make you guess again? Yeah. So the, I remember what they were. Yeah. Okay. So left the top 10 left tackles average out to make $19.1 million a year. It helps that there's three contracts well over 20 million, but 19.1 million a year for left tackles. For right tackles, that number goes down to $13.2 million. That's a $6 yeah. million difference, and that's AAV. So yeah. let's say that's a five-year deal. That's a $30 million difference. And I'll add, too, because Isaiah Wynn's not touching. He's not going to get the top of the market unless he has an unbelievable season this year. The 10th left tackle, there's actually two. They're tied, makes $16 million a year. And one of them is a Jordan, I don't know how to pronounce it, from the Eagles, the big guy. My lot, my lot, my lot. Thank you. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan, my lot is twenty five. So that's comparable for Isaiah yeah. Wynn, right? He's the tenth highest paid left tackle at sixteen million. The tenth highest paid right tackle. I don't have the name off the top of my head, but it was a younger guy like Wynn as well. Comes in at seven million. So even when you get off the t- like, he might be he might be in the top ten money. He yeah. was the he you know since he was drafted. PFF has him as the 15th best left tackle in football. So if he has a strong year, he could sneak in that top 10. Left tackle versus right tackle, it's nearly a $10 million difference per year. So every year you're under contract, it costs you another $10 million to play on the right side instead of the left side. Maybe he's not thinking about that. Maybe his agent is. Maybe he's not thinking about that at this point. But it it either tells me that they don't have a plan for him here long-term. And, and by long-term, I mean September or they told him, we'll give you a long-term deal, but you're going to play right tackle, and maybe we'll pay you somewhere in between left tackle and right tackle. Yeah, I I just think that in today's NFL, too, you're running into, into a lot of teams now that have bookend ed, edge rushers. Like It's not like it used to be right. when left tackle was such a premium position. Like Nowadays, right tackle also faces a lot of really good pass rushers on that side, and I'm just thinking about – they got the Buffalo Bills twice, maybe a third time if they need to get in the playoffs. Von Miller is a guy that is known to line up over the right tackle. Like he likes being over on that side of the formation. So if you're looking for, is there a matchup reason for it? I really can't find it. Like you're, you're going to see, it's the NFL. You're going to see good rushers on either side. Like it, it really doesn't make a difference where they try to hide you if you want to put it that way, right? The other thing right. is, is okay, well maybe... They don't trust him next to a rookie because last year 
on Wenu struggled and on Wind struggled next to each other, but now they're just flipping him over to the right side to put him next to on Wenu again. So like if he already struggled next to him, the, the one theory that I think maybe makes the most sense is spreading out some of the beef, right? Because when you put on Wenu and Trent Brown next to each other on the right side, and then you put Strange and Wynn together on the left side, that left side is really, really small. And that right side is like jumbo sized, right? So instead of putting two smaller athletic linemen next to each other, like Strange and Wynn, maybe they're thinking about splitting those guys up so they can kind of spread out the beef across the five spots on the offensive line. That I think is maybe the best theory that I've heard so far, but in my mind, this points to, we know Trent Brown's going to be our left tackle. We know Cole Strange is going to be our left guard. We know David Andrews is going to be our center. We know Mike on who's going to be our right guard. So we're going to work those guys at those four positions all spring and summer long. The guy that we don't know if he's going to be here or not is Isaiah Wynn. So right. he's going to go to the open spot, right? So continuity is always such a big thing. And they have that poster in the offensive line room or the, the words above the door are see it through the same set of eyes. Like that's, that's their motto in that room. So keeping the other guys on the offensive line in place, knowing that that's the positions they're going to play during the season. And then maybe trading Isaiah Wynn at the end of training camp and putting Justin Huron in the starting lineup. Now you're just swapping one spot. Otherwise you're, Oh, well, Trent Brown didn't really rep there during the the summer, but now all of a sudden he's got to play left tackle and this guy's got to move over here and that guy's got to move over there. Now you just know where the one for one is. I'm not sure if they're 100% there yet with trading Isaiah Wynn, but it feels like moving him over to right tackle and setting in stone the other four-fifths of the offensive line is almost like hedging their bet a little bit, right? Where if they feel like they do want to move on from Wynn, now you're only displacing one spot and everybody else has been working at the spots that they're going to work at during the season. Yeah. It, it, it almost feels like they're not moving him over there to play there. They're moving him over there to get him out of the way because Trent yeah. needs the, the reps at left tackle. Cause he's going to be the left tackle. Yeah. That that's definitely how it feels to me. All right. Sticking with the offense here, a couple more things on that side of the football. We got to talk about Trey Nixon. We're 25 minutes into the show. We got to talk about the hype train that is Trey Nixon. Trey Um, Jerry Rice Nixon. Yes. Alex, you like to remind me of my infatuation with Maurice Harris in the 2019 spring circuit, right? The 2019 mini camp circuit. No, that was 18, wasn't it? I thought that was our first year. I think it was 19. My first. We didn't do spring our first year. We didn't do spring in 18. We didn't start until camp. That's why. Okay. That's correct. So 19, Maurice Harris, I loved him during spring. He obviously fizzled out. And then all of us did a, a look over here with Jacoby Myers, right? Like that was, it ended up being Jacoby right. Myers. That was the guy. But where are you on the scale of – the only way I can put it, I guess, is Maurice Harris to Julian Edelman, right? Like where are right. you on that scale of this being legitimate with Trey Nixon? So – let me let me give the background here. Maurice Harris, for people who don't remember, was this journeyman wide receiver. I think he was like 28, 29 by the time he got to New England. And he lit it up in spring practices. He did, objectively. He looked very good. And he was fast. He's a burner. That's what he was. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the pads came on and he disappeared. And I think the reason I, I don't bring it up to make fun of you, that's just a bonus. Yes, you do. 
I, no, 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 no. The real reason I bring it up, and honestly, I tell the people this story a lot because they ask me, like, how do you know what you're looking for, you know, when you're out there? Yeah. A lot of it is, you know, you just bait, you kind of go off what you've seen before. Me and you had never watched a non-padded practice. So we go out there and we see him tearing it up. What are we to think? Right now we have the context of we've done this for a few years and we kind of know. So that's why I always, that's why I bring it up is he looks really good right now, but we've seen guys in the past, especially guys with a similar skill sets than what he has, right. look good at this stage. And then the pads come on and they kind of disappear. Now, I, he's he's a little beyond Maurice Harris at this point. I, I mentioned the one-handed catch he made earlier. I think he's he's made a couple co- catches through contact. That's big. I think just big, going from last year to this year, I think his route running has improved. Last year, he yeah. was fast and he was quick. And if you don't know what the difference is, fast is speed. It's running in a straight line. Quick is like agility. It's short area. You know, how, how much can you move around, get in and out of cuts, all that. He was fast and he was quick, but it didn't really look like he knew he, he knew what to do with that. He had the skill set, but it was just kind of raw. It feels like he's refined that. And it's coming to his route running. The other thing I'd add, somebody mentioned this in the chat. There's a there's a real relationship between him and Mac. Yeah. They they drove to the facility together last, you know, they came in the same draft class. They drove to the facility together the last year. Before Cam got cut, it was the two of them on the second team, and, and, and they had a real connection. They were tearing things up. You know. When we look at some of these other guys, we were talking about this yesterday at practice with Jerry Thornton, who was like the best guy to talk about this with. Yeah. And and we're bringing up, you know, Braxton Berrios, Riley McCarron, Austin right. Carr. Another big difference here is, as much as Tom Brady may have liked throwing to some of those guys, Tom Brady was never putting his foot down for Austin Carr. He was never putting his foot down for Riley McCarron. Mac is in a position where he may put his, you know, he's... It, he's going to vouch a little more for Trey Nixon. He's going to get yeah. Trey Nixon more opportunities. It, it reminds me a lot more of how Brady was with Edelman, right? I don't it, even, but, but Brady wasn't even that way with Edelman entirely because remember they Edelman started as just a punt returner. It was like four yeah. years. He just, I, I didn't teams. remember them having they a were, little bit of that, that but, I think it was but, a, a little bit of the NorCal thing too, right? Like I, I know, but it was kind of, it was after Edelman developed. Like, remember they were ready to let Edelman go. He had one sure. foot in the building in New York, yeah. right? I, I, I think, I don't know that any one of those things is, you know, latches Trey Nixon onto the roster. Honestly, right now I have him as one of my last guys. I was working on my roster projection before he came on. I might tweak it right now. I have him as one of the last guys cut like, like 54, 55, 56, however you want to put it. But I, because I need to see with the pads, but he's off to a good start. He's got a lot of those little things going for him. He's not just Maurice Harris showing up and running faster than everybody else, and that's the entire story. There's actual nuance to why he's having success and, and reasons to believe he'll continue having success. Now, the next step is Zach Sudfeld, right? He's got to prove he's not Zach Sudfeld. We'll, we'll get there in a couple of months, but yeah. um, I'm, I'm willing to put him ahead. I, I think he's passed the Maurice Harris test to this point. I'm willing to put him ahead of that. Well, that's good to hear. I, I think the biggest things that stand out with Trey Nixon, I first thing is I wanted to pull up his pro day numbers because coming out of college, like this is not like a Riley McCarron athletic profile, right? Like this guy's a legitimate NFL athlete. So at the his pro day and uh, out of UCF in 2021, Trey Nixon ran a 4.44 second 40 yard dash. His three cone was 6.81 seconds. And he jumped 35 and a half inches at 
a shade over six feet, 187 pounds. Like that's an NFL body type, right? right. That's He's NFL a great workout numbers. Those are legit numbers. And you look and watch him play in these practices. He has legitimate speed. Like he's got an explosive gear. I think one of the more enticing catches too, and maybe where he's developed his game the most, because quite frankly, last year in camp, he didn't look like an NFL wide receiver. He just, he needed to add muscle and he just looked, he he looked like he was still in college, right? Like he looked like he was still a college uh, receiver in terms of contact, but in these practices, his ability to finish through contact has really improved. And he ran a little return route over the middle of the field against Jonathan Jones and caught it in some traffic. And there's some nice anticipation there between him and Mac about where exactly he was going to be with the throw. And he's lining up in the slot. He's adding some explosive playability from that inside slot position. Alex, you've been clamoring for a long time about getting a vertical slot in this offense for he Mac. He feels Jones. like he could do that. Yeah. He feels like he can do that. And you go out there and two days in a row, you put Jonathan Jones, you moss him twice in two practices. Right. That's not, he's not doing this uh, against, you know, a, a seventh round corner that's not going to make the roster or UDFA corner that's not going to make the roster. He's doing this against the Patriots top slot corner in John Jones. He also absolutely ran away from Sean Wade on a crossing route, but really his route is very clear especially to get up that field up the field is that post corner, right? You kind of stem it inside and fake like you're going to run the post and then break it out on the corner. And Mac hit him a couple of times on that in seven on seven over the last couple of days. So look, we're still early. I, I have to learn from the Maurice Harris experiment, as you mentioned, and kind of summed up perfectly and not get way too ahead of ourselves with Trey Nixon. But early returns suggest that I think that this guy's, probably going to make a strong push to make the roster and look i i think in a lot of ways he's the exact type of receiver that they should ha- tr- find a way to hang on to right we kind of said the same about some of the other players along the way like i thought Bra- braxton barrios was another one of those guys that th- they probably should have found a way to hang on to he was also returning punts he d- didn't do that in college but they were giving him some work there returning punts he's gonna have to make make the team in, on special teams also right, right? Well, that's gonna be a big factor that to me is a big difference between him and a guy like Braxton Berrios or uh, Christian Wilkerson last year, right? Like Christian Wilkerson, you can debate him as a receiver. He's going to contribute in kick coverage. Like he's very good at that. Yeah. Trey Nixon, they can get him there, but he doesn't have like Berrios was a great punt returner. Gunner, Gunner, right? Look at Gunner. The, he was, he made the team on special teams. They were going to try to develop him as wide receiver, but he made the teams primarily as a special teamer. Yeah, that's probably not going to be the case with Trey Nixon. He's primarily a wide receiver. I think yeah. he has to play special teams to make the team, and that becomes something to watch in camp and in the preseason. Do they have him covering kicks? Do they have him returning kicks? But that's another element where it's different as well. And and maybe this is where they change it up. Maybe they say, "Hey, we need this wide receiver depth. If he's not the best kick coverage guy in the world, so be it. He's the guy we want in that spot." Like that. That's it to me. It's the sixth wide receiver spot as it is right now is between him, Trey Nixon, Ty Montgomery. Yeah. Or sorry, Christian Nixon Wilkerson in yeah. Ty Montgomery for that last spot. Ty Montgomery and Christian Wilkerson, I can and Christian Wilkerson can cover kicks. They're both very good at that. Yeah. So Trey Nixon either has to pull far enough ahead of them as a wide receiver, which might be tough to do on Montgomery given his versatility, or he's got to close the gap as a kick coverage guy. And it could go either way, but that's kind of what it comes down to for him making the team again if they're gonna keep 
six receivers, which in and of itself is a question. He does have that speed and wiggle. And, you know, it's going to take some time for him to develop as a punt returner, but I wouldn't completely rule that out as something that he could do productively, right? I, I think he's got some of those traits to him. He just hasn't done it enough. And I don't know if they're going to trust him back there given the lack of experience with it, but I, they've done crazier things, right? They put they put different guys back there in different points. And, you know, Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry are returning punts for them last year at some point in time. Uh, with Gunner when uh, he got that concussion. So I wouldn't rule completely out with Trey Nixon. Uh, last thing here with the offense before we talk about some of the defensive takeaways as well. Johnny Smith, I thought he had a nice week. And we talked about this on Tuesday. Last year, he had the baby. You know, he wasn't able to come to OTAs because of COVID concerns and wasn't really a part of the offseason program. This year, he's participated every single day. He's been heavily involved. Hunter Henry has been limited in some of these practices. So we've seen a lot of Johnny Smith. You mentioned earlier in the show, he made the catch over Kyle Duggar on Tuesday. He made a similar catch over Adrian Phillips. So he had two really nice catches on uh, kind of jump balls, high point type plays uh, in these last couple of practices. He, you know, speaking of Mac at the beginning about the confidence level and how you're seeing it sort of come out a little bit more and be a bit, a little bit more aggressive. I also feel similarly to Johnny Smith that he's a little bit more confident out there in the way that he's running, he's playing faster. Uh, He's imposing his will a little bit more out there. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to have a thousand yard season just because he had some good plays in minicamp, but he definitely looks a lot more confident and sure of himself in this offense. than he did this time last year, I thought last year throughout the summer, it, it was pretty evident that Johnny Smith was, going through it mentally, right? Like he was kind of thinking too much and not playing freely and not playing fast. Now it doesn't really look like that as much anymore. No, it doesn't. No, he seems much more comfortable. And I think, was it him or or Bourne or Aguilar who talked about, you know, in year two, it's just so much easier in New England because there's not that learning curve. You can kind of just open it up. I forget which of the three of them said it. One of them said it and the other two we asked about, they agreed with it. So they all feel that way. And you can see it. You can really see it, I think, more so with John Smith than, than anybody else, that he's just out He's just out there having fun. He's just out there playing ball. It's not, you know, it, for lack of a better term, it's not a whole science experiment. And that's what it felt like yeah. at times last year with him. Like, it was too much thinking. Everything, yeah. right. Everything was so broken down to littlest. No, he's out there. He's loose. He's having fun. That's a big development. And then if they do change the offense, it might get his uh, fit his skill set a little better. That'll only help him. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And we saw some of those 12 personnel looks that they were running with Devin Asiasi as the other tight end just because of Henry's uh, limited work in these couple of days. And you can see how some of the movements that they're asking Johnny Smith to do now and some of these new stretch looks that they're running with the zone stuff. It It's intriguing. I, I don't know if crafting your offense around Johnny Smith is really necessarily the adjustment or the pivot that we were all looking for this offseason, but it certainly can't help to get him more involved. And he's definitely one of their more explosive players in terms of his athleticism and his ability to carry the football. So any chance to get the ball in his hands more, I, I think is a good thing. Right. And and that's, I think what ultimately right. the goal of all this stretch stuff that they're running is to get the football into space more often. I think what they probably went back and self scouted a little bit about their offense last year is everything was in a phone booth, right? Like everything was so condensed. The formations were heavy. 
the run plays, it's four or five yards in a cloud of dust a lot of the time, unless they break a big one. And the passing game as a, you know, kind of branching off of that was very limited to that short and intermediate stuff. And everything felt like it was within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. These Shanahan style schemes are going to allow them to get the football into space a little bit more and allow them to get open and run with the ball a little bit more. I think that that's some of the goal of this transition that they're making. All right, let's move over to the defensive side of the football. Uh, we always caveat defensive takeaways from minicamp with it's pretty difficult to have big overarching takeaways on defense just because there's no pads and there's no tackling and there's no real blocker resistance from the offensive line up front. So it's not really defense yet, right? It is for the corners though and for the defensive backs. And I wanted to start with Jack Jones on that side of the ball it was an up and down week for Jack Jones. I think that's a fair way to, to put it. But the point is that he's out there. He's out there and they're rotating right. him out there a lot with Jalen Mills and Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler and Jonathan Jones and the other starters in that group. So they clearly have seen enough out of Jack Jones to be intrigued about him possibly contributing as a rookie. I wouldn't say that he's been shut down or locked down or anything like that for the spring practices that we have seen, but it's at least compelling that he's contributed, that he's out there, that he's working with the first team defense. And you do see some things that you like about his ability to move his ball skills, you know, things like that did stand out a little bit. Yeah, they did. I, I thought it was really telling Yesterday, he actually got hurt early in practice. I don't yeah. know he, what it was. He, he was doing just... a punt, and he he do tried to dive for the football, and he landed on the football, and I think he just knocked the wind out of him. Troy Brown was not too happy with him for trying to. Is that what I I couldn't tell if he got the wind knocked out of him or he rolled his ankle or whatever? But yeah, he walked off the field with the training staff. You're thinking, oh no, this is a guy that they might be counting on. Yeah, but then he comes back in shortly after. He had a really nice interception working against Christian Wilkerson. It was one of those where. Why can't, why am I blank on the route? Not a slant, but it's where you start the slant and then come back in. There's a little hitch route. Like a hitch. Yeah it, yeah. it it felt like more than a hitch to me. A hitch is like three steps slanting in. It was like more, he came from outside the numbers to between the hashes. I guess that's still a hitch. I don't know. Um, I, I haven't slept. Anyway, Christian Wilkerson was running a hitch and, and Jack Jones is on him and man. And the throw was a little bit out in front of Wilkerson. Like I think, you know, this was Hoyer. I think the idea was that you know, he's going to be able to kind of catch the ball as he turned and, and start running after the catch. But yeah. it was one of those ones where Wilkerson and, and Jones both got to the spot at the exact same time, right? They both got the ball at the same time. Jones was trailing him a little bit and just strong hands, strong hands from the rookie. He got the ball. He threw the contact. He maintained control. Uh, I, I thought it was a great play. I, I thought it was kind of a high level play. It's a confidence interception. And then later in practice too, he, he forces the Nelson Aguilar fumble. So to to start practice on the ground and walking off and then make those two big plays. I know we got beat a couple times, but it's a learning process. Yeah, but day. to start from getting hurt and then to to be able to make those kind of plays, it just to me, and, and even to make those plays in the context of getting beat, you know, a few times, it shows he has a short memory. And I think that's massive as we know, yeah. you know, you, quarterbacks and cornerbacks, you have to have a short memory to succeed in this league. And that's you know, something you don't necessarily see on tape. You can kind of guess, but it's something you kind of got to see in person. And we saw it. And so that, that was my big takeaway with him. I thought he showed you a short memory 
He's got that fire. He's got that dog in him, right? That's the meme that's going around now with like the X-ray with the dog in the chest. Yeah. Um, like you'd say that. So yeah, I liked I liked what I even though he got beat beat a couple times. I liked what I saw from yesterday, given he's a rookie and he's just coming into this. Yeah, he had some battles with Nelson Aguilar. I mean, Aguilar beat him on the go ball. It might have not been in bounds. I would probably would have given it to him as a catch. I think I counted it as a catch. But regardless of that, he, he did get beat a few times by Aguilar. But Aguilar is an NFL receiver, and he still went back. And as you said later on in practice, he was, he was able to strip the ball from Aguilar and limit. He would have limited it to a small gain anyways. Like it was that was also like a little hitch or a curl, and it was like a four or five yard gain regardless. And he still got the football out. He's been competitive, and it doesn't really look too big for him either right like it doesn't look like he's out of place or he doesn't belong on the field with the rest of those guys and you look at this cornerback depth chart it's a little scary right now in the cornerback room I think if you if the season were to start tomorrow or on Sunday you're probably looking at Jalen Mills and Terrence Mitchell as your starting corners unless Malcolm Butler can sort of recreate it a little bit more than what we saw this week but Based off of what we saw this week, it's it's probably those two guys, right? It's probably um, Mills and Mitchell. That group is dying for Jack Jones to become a player, right? Like they're just yeah. dying for yeah. that, for him to emerge and become an impact player as quickly, as early as possible. And uh, he's it does seem at least so far, I would say, up for it for, for the most part. He's got a ways to go, but he's at least not – shying away from the opportunity i guess is the best way to put it and i think that's a really good uh omen for the patriots because that's that cornerback group right now out of all the position groups that they have on the roster because they're going to talk about linebacker now and at linebacker it's it's also a little bit thin like you also worry uh, about the upside there but you all you also have kyle duggar and adrian phillips and jabril peppers and the safeties to fill in some of these gaps as well and I think Josh Uche is going to play on and off the line of scrimmage. So he's kind of like a hybrid linebacker that's going to be in that group. So at the end of the day, you're really only looking for one or two contributors from the true off ball inside linebacker group. Cornerback, they're going to have to put three corners out there, right? Like, you know, three corners got to play and it's going to be harder to hide those guys uh, than it would be for the the scheme to hide Juwan Bentley, for instance, you know, or, or Mac Wilson or uh, Rayquan McMillan. That that trio at linebacker, though, and uh, talking about off-ball linebackers, uh, Wilson, McMillan, and Bentley, that seemed to be the the leaders in the clubhouse right now to be the contributors or, or be the guys that are going to be out there the most. It's you know obviously we know Bentley's gonna gonna play a lot and he's gonna have that mic role, but behind him, McMillan and Wilson seem to kind of be almost splitting like that second linebacker spot. Uh, Cameron McGrone still working with the scout team defense. I guess that's not a major surprise after he basically barely practiced last year. I mean, he's still got a long way to go. But what's your impression of this linebacker group? It's another group that whether it's Uche or it's Perkins or it's Anthony, like someone's got to emerge out of that group as well. I, I I'll I'll say what I've said the last couple of shows. I still think it's going to be a rotation. I you know, I think between Mac Wilson and Ronnie Perkins and 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 Cameron McGrone and Josh Uche, I think they're all very versatile, but I think they all have different strengths, and I think you can really match them to the situation. So, I look at it as a as a situation where they're going to kind of try to, you know, it could be a game plan thing. They're going to try to put, you know, the best guy on the field for the best, you know, based on the matchup. So, I I, I 
outside of Bentley on early downs, is there really a guy that skill set stands out so much where you say this guy needs to be a 60, 65, 70% usage rate guy? No. So play it off the matchups. They've done it at other positions before. They've done it at corner, not recently, but they've done it at corner. They've done it at wide receiver. They, you know, why not try it on at linebacker? I think linebacker is a position where that sort of strategy would really have some benefits. I think that's kind of how they're looking at both these positions, linebacker and corner, is that it's yeah, going to be yeah. somewhat situational and they're going to roll with the hot hand, I'm sure, in some occasions. But if one game plan, you come in and you're going to be pretty zone heavy, then a guy like Terrence Mitchell probably has an upper hand on Malcolm Butler and Jack Jones and those types of schemes. So they'll probably throw Mitchell out there. But if they feel like the best game plan against the opponent is to play man, then you might see Malcolm Butler. You might see Jack Jones. You might see some of the man guys, right? So uh, I think that that's a possibility pretty much everywhere. And they're going to try to just mask it with depth, right? And and, and sort of just throw a bunch of different skill sets at it. I, I'm not as concerned about linebacker as corner just because of what you were kind of saying, which is you're only going to really be playing one or two of these guys at a time, right? So it's not right. like you're you're really going to have to play anybody 85% of the snaps anyway. So if Bentley's your first down run-stuffing Mike linebacker, and then on second and third down in passing situations, you play more safeties in the box, and you're really light in that situation, then that's fine too. If Mac Wilson sort of emerges, that you know that that would work as well. But I think that they're really optimistic that at least on the ball, rushing the passer, that Uche or Ronnie Perkins might actually turn it on this season and be consistent throughout the season. They certainly need that. That back seven right now, the safety group looks great, but the cornerback group, the linebacker group, they need somebody, they need some star power there, right? Like they need somebody to come out of the woodwork and, and emerge as an impact player. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. All right. I think that uh, that about does it with our recap. Um, I saw a lot of people in the chat talking about rookies and some impressions of the rookies. So, Alex, before we switch over to the Boston Sports Minute, which we absolutely need to do today, we can do rapid fire. And I really mean rapid fire. Uh, yeah. Through the some of these rookies that we didn't necessarily hit on in length. Uh, first, starting at the top of the first round pick, Cole Strange. No pads. It's not really evaluating offensive line time of year, but what were your initial impressions of Cole Strange? I don't hate that he's getting in scrums. I I, I don't hate it. I last year, David, for sure. Last year, David Andrews talked about, you know, the identity up front was they're going to be bullies and it translated in the run game. So he's going to be a fit up there. So that's, I got no technical takeaway. We didn't see anything. Yeah. He does look a little bit like he's tall and thin for a guard, right? Like he's, he kind of built almost more like a tackle. So I, you know, you coming in at the senior bowl, there were some concerns with bull rush and power and stuff like that. in the pass blocking, I, I do think that he's got to hit the weight room a little bit, but I'm not overly concerned that, you know, that's, that's a rookie, right. And, and all these guys need to hit the, hit the weight room and into the NFL program. Tyquan Thornton uh, worked mostly with the scout team offense, did play some gunner, I uh, also did run right past Miles Bryant and showed off some of that speed. Uh, what was that yesterday? Uh, what were your yeah. initial impressions of Thornton, who uh, still seems like he's kind of, you know, bouncing around between the, the scout team and, and running some reps with Mac Jones? I, I, it's Again, it's very limited. He had that one nice deep ball you talked about. We yeah. got to see him going full speed to get the full picture. We just didn't really see that. 
Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be able to be a decoy. Uh, whether or not he's going to be able to be a big volume guy as a rookie or in the initial uh, couple seasons of his NFL career, I think it, I still have my concerns about that or and my skeptics about that. But if you just want him to take two guys with him up the field and clear out the coverage, I, I think that he'll be able to do that. We talked about the running backs, Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris. Uh, Kevin Harris is like the biggest dude I've ever seen for a running back besides Derrick Henry. Like that guy is just like an absolute tank. Uh, His lower body is just insane. He also caught some passes in these last couple of days, showing off some hands, some, maybe some route running. You know, I I think he's a little bit better in that phase than I was expecting uh, his ability to catch the football. Yeah, that stood out to me. They seem to get him involved in the passing game. And, you know, we've talked about there, if James White's not healthy and he was limited for all the spring, Uh, If James White's not healthy, their lack of a pass catching back, maybe they're just going to throw the ball to the traditional early down backs. They got Damian Harris involved in the passing game. They got Ramondre involved in the passing game. So maybe maybe this is another uh, um, philosophical change, uh, change of philosophy for the offense. Yeah, Pierre Strong, I think, too, a good explosive gear. I love that they had him returning kickoffs. I, I would love to see that. I know they also had... Ty Montgomery back there. Ty Montgomery is literally just Brandon Bolden. Like that, that's literally what they're there. That, that's exactly the roles he's filling. That's basically what he's doing. Right. Playing a little bit more receiver, obviously than Brandon Bolden did playing running back, but returning kickoffs, you know, filling in and when uh, there's holes in the skill position groups, but I would love, 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 love to see Pierre strong and that four, three, seven speed, get a chance to return some kickoffs. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's a guy that could succeed in that role, certainly. Yeah, uh, so Marcus Jones is in the red non-contact jersey, so basically didn't see anything out of him. So he can't really have a takeaway. He had that, those off-season shoulder surgery on both shoulders. So he, we'll, we'll see if he's even for camp. You know, like that's those are some significant injuries that he's bouncing back from. Andrew Stuber and Jason Hines, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with those two, but something's going, maybe they, you know, I don't want to speculate. So something's going on with those two that we, they weren't out there. Um, so we right. didn't see, see them. Sam Roberts, defensive lineman. It's, you know, your guess is as good as mine is how good they did. In, I, in I will say this. He, he seemed to take coaching really well. There weren't many times, you know, I, I didn't watch him a ton, but the few times I was kind of focused on him, coaches yeah. would tell him something, he'd fix it. There weren't a yeah. lot of times that he struggled with the instruction and that's not everything, but that's encouraging. You also missed one guy. Oh, yeah, of course. How did I forget? I skipped right over Alex's favorite new quarterback, Bailey Zappi. Future to be traded to the Las Vegas Raiders for a second-round pick, Bailey Zappi. He looked good. He looked good. Zappi's got some zip. Is that is that too easy? Is that like low hanging fruit? Like is that too easy it's of a joke? Dumb. It's dumb. It's just he's <laughs> just good. He's a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. That's it. Yeah, I, I like some of the 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 zip on the football. I think is definitely there enough. He's got an NFL arm. Uh, maybe more so than what people were a little bit concerned about. I still don't love his delivery. It's a little bit wonky, but I won't get too nitpicky about that. But he throws the ball on time, and he's he's got enough to get it there, right? Like th- those are the two prerequisites to be on an NFL depth chart as a quarterback. And I think he checks both of those boxes. A really good backup at the very least for the time being. Yeah. And it was notable, I thought, that he was getting reps, right? Like it wasn't like he was just standing there the entire practice, right? 
uh, he was getting some reps during team and, and they were rotating him in there a little bit. It was like Mac Hoyer, Mac Zappy, I think is how it went. Like Mac got two uh, goes at it and Hoyer and Zappy each got one. So whatever order that was in, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, but that was not sort of the way that they split it up. We saw Danny Etling. Um, uh, who was it? Who was it last year? The, the dude from Central Connecticut. Why can't I think of his name? Um, I, I'm blanking on it too. And anyway, we we've seen some of these like seventh round pick. Uh, Brian yeah. Lewerke is another one. Michigan State. Yeah. We've seen these guys come in and essentially just be a camp arm, right? They're just there to be essentially, you know, so a coach doesn't have to run a drill or whatever. Zappy was involved. He was a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely had a role out there and de- you know, de- was getting opportunities. I think is the better way of putting it. Jake Dogala, okay. damn it. Jake oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Those guys didn't get that. Those guys were legitimate camp arms, right? Like yeah. this is much more looked a lot more like what Jared Sidham would get, right. Or something like that in the spring. Right. So uh, I certainly some, uh, some run there for Zappy and yeah, you know, he looked the part. I'll, I'll give it to you, Alex. He looked the part. Start um, listening to me when I drop these names on you. And I, we need to mark the date. I think it was, was it three days ago? No. Yeah. Three days ago. I did a mock draft for 2023 and I texted it to you. So mark you it down June 6th, 2022, as the day I started badgering Evan about the 2023 draft class. Yeah. 2023. Yeah. Yeah. 2023 draft class. June 6th, 2022. I started talking about the 2023 draft class. All right. So that does it for the Patriots portion of the podcast, but we are going to wrap it up with the Boston sports minute and discuss the Boston Celtics. Alex was at the game, covering the game for the sports hub last night. And, uh, didn't sleep and was very happy when he got the email this morning at 7.30 a.m. that he didn't have to go to Gillette. But, uh, Alex, you were there. The atmosphere seemed great. I love how soft the Warriors are. I are, Is it – it's too soon, though, and especially with the way this Celtics team, especially the last two rounds against Milwaukee and Miami, they've made it as difficult as possible on themselves, right? They've never taken the easy path. So to sit here today, I think part of me wants to be like Celtics in five, right? Like they got the momentum. They got another home game to go up 3-1. They have the Warriors thinking about the fans and the people around Boston flipping off staffers and stuff like that. Like that seems to be in their heads maybe a little bit. But I know this Celtics team is going to still have this series go six or seven or find a way to make this series go six or seven. But I'm sure you got to feel a little bit better than you did yesterday about the Celtics, Alex. I mean, I feel great. That was old school Boston sports dominance. Yeah. They weren't they didn't just lose. They're not just afraid of the team. They're afraid of us. Yeah. They're afraid of the it. fans. That was glorious. Yeah. Clay Thompson the the, yeah. the list of people offended by swearing at sporting events that I know now is two people, Clay Thompson and my mom. Like <laughs> I learned every swear in the book by the time I was 10 by yeah. sitting at Fenway and TD garden. I, I didn't oh, yeah. go to Pat's games. I was in high school, but I'm sure I would have picked some up at Gillette. Certainly. I, what are we doing? What are we, that's just how it is around here. I'd like to think we're better off for it. Frankly, I, oh, yeah. I was, hope, you know what? Don't even, and, and I'm not going to say it, not because I think it's wrong. I'm just not going to say it. Cause I, I like making money off doing these shows. I don't want to get our channel demonetized. <laughs> that is the only reason I'm not. If I could, I would don't F Draymond green. Don't F Clay Thompson. I just want, uh, I, I just, just say the word, just chant the word itself over yeah. and over and over yeah. again. You know, 
I I I I made the joke earlier. What did the the Warriors staffers think that they that we were going to wish them luck? So yeah. Do that. Go in. Go into the. You know. Go into the garden. Game four. Luck. 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 Yeah. Luck. But not luck. Right. You get what I'm saying. No. As for the Celtics, I think they exercised some demons in that game. I really do. I I think first of all, the ability to get to the basket. And I know they had trouble finishing at the basket at times, but it felt like when they drove to the basket, it wasn't just, you know, putting their head down, trying to get the foul. I feel like there was an actual plan. You saw it from, it wasn't the first position, but it was early on where, where Jalen Brown gets Draymond one-on-one on on an ISO off the screen. He goes to the basket. He hit him with like an up and under Euro that play, that situation in game three, I, or in game two, I think he just puts his head down, tries to draw the foul, and probably turns it over. So to see that development to me was big. And then maybe I'm in the, the minority on this belief. I know the third quarter wasn't great. Like, they they got outscored. That felt like a win. Yeah. It felt like a win. It was 33-25. There was that one freak seven-point possession, which was kind of a dumb foul by Al Horford. I don't think it was a flagrant. But you take that out, it was pretty much even. If you can come, if you can start the game the way they've started games, and they've been great at starting games in these playoffs, you don't need to win the third quarter. You just need to survive it, especially right. when they've been as good in the fourth as they have been. I felt like they survived the third quarter last night. That was certainly encouraging. And even though the turnover number was a little high, I gave that stat out on the last show about you know the over under twelve turnovers. I they were able to play good in 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 the minutes they needed to. So that was uh, there was a lot encouraging about last night. Yeah, when it comes to the taunting and the fans and all that stuff, my message to everybody going to the game tomorrow night is is keep it up, right? Like this is clearly affecting them. They're talking about it left and right. And I get that a lot of the time the media asks them and they're just answering questions, but it's clearly a topic on their mind and Steve Kirk came out right after the game and you know called us classless and uh, Clay Thompson kind of said the same thing. And then there was that report today that staffers walking around Boston are getting the bird and everything. And look, I, I'm going to be honest with you. We were driving through the city the other day and I saw a Warriors jersey and I almost gave the guy a bird, right? Like, I, I mean, like this, this is Boston. Like, this isn't Toronto. Like, we're not, we're not a hockey town, right? We, we're not that we are. Although we like, would do the same thing if it was the Bruins. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is a legitimate sports town this is not you're not in uh silicon valley anymore golden state like you're not with all the the uppy uh rich guys in tech out there in san francisco like they moved they moved from oakland to san francisco and it shows yeah this is a real sports town and you are the enemy and draymond green in particular because as i've been saying basically the entire series draymond green is not good at basketball anymore the only thing that he's good at is playing defense and gooning it up, right? Like those are the two things that he can do. I The guy's shot is he's got to be what, like two for 30 in this series or something like that, shooting the basketball. I think he had 13 points before game two. I don't know what he had exactly last night, but it, it he's not scoring. He's not doing anything else besides causing a ruckus and playing some solid well, defense. That's let's, it. Let's, let's give credit where credit's due here. Draymond's not a scorer. Like, I, they're not counting on him. If he needs to score 20 points, I'm just saying something's he's not, gone the, wrong. He's not the player he used to be, right? Like, Draymond, I, three or I four years ago, is a different guy. He can be a factor, and we, we've seen it. We saw it earlier in this series. He can be a factor as a passer. He can be a factor as a rebounder. 
they didn't let it get to that last night. Yeah. They were great on the glass. Robert Williams was excellent. All the credit to yeah. him. That couldn't yeah, have been easy. Tremendous. And I think they've done a better job now, three games in, of understanding what the Warriors want to do schematically offensively and kind of limiting some of these passing lanes and enforce them into choke points. So as, as much as I want to take that victory lap and say Draymond's in his own head and the podcast and blah, 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 and maybe that's yeah. some of it. I don't think that's I, that I, I actually think the Celtics have kind of started to crack the code here a little bit. Yeah, I do so too. It's not, I, you know, I, I know we all want to say Draymond sucks and Draymond can't play and all of that, but I think we also need to look at it as Celtics are playing really well. They're not allowing him to do the things he does best. Yeah. That's, that's what happened last night. I don't think he went out there and tripped over it. Maybe at times he did, but I think for the most part, it wasn't him tripping over himself. It was the Celtics containing. Him. So let's, yeah. let's give the credit where it's due. Yeah, the other thing I would say, too, about kind of along the lines of cracking the code a little bit, the Celtics are longer than Golden State, and they're more athletic than Golden State. And I, I think Ime Adoka, his message, when he huddles them up and he has a message for them or in between games, clearly the adjustments in the message is getting through uh, to these players because I think it was during one of the, like, it was at least Salters or whoever works the sideline in the finals – said that Ime Adoka went up to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and said, just finish over these guys, right? Like you got Steph Curry, you got Klay Thompson on you. Like they, when they played against Miami, Bam Adebayo was in the way, right? When they right. played against Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez and Giannis were in the way. This Golden State team doesn't have the rim protection that those teams used to have, right? They, they, they don't have the resistance and the paint. And Jason Tatum was driving in the first couple games to get fouls. He's trying to draw fouls, and they're a, bit, a little bit too loose with the football, uh, with the football, with the basketball. Last night they were strong with the ball. They went over the top of these guys and they finished. And then were they perfect at the rim? No, but they got enough of it going that it, it made the difference, right? Right. So Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like you don't have Bam Adebayo staring at you when you go down the lane. You don't have Brooke Lopez staring at you when you're going down the lane. You can finish on, on Draymond Green. Like you can finish right. when they switch on, you know, get Tatum on Steph and get that matchup. He can finish over Steph Curry. So I think the Celtics are the more athletic team. I think they're the longer team and they play like that last night. You mentioned the rebounding. You know, when they have that big two big lineup out there with Rob and Al Horford, they got a lot more size up front than Golden State has. So they should dominate the glass. Like they should control the rebound and, and should control that aspect of the game. So I, I hope that they've cracked the code too. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this, I'm used to the Celtics now pushing these series to six or seven games just because they can't take the easy way. I know they swept Brooklyn, but even that series, like every game was close, right? It was like right. kind of like a gentleman's sweep. But we'll see what ends up happening uh, tomorrow night. I, I have a good feeling about tomorrow night, but I think the Warriors come back in game five and don't let it end like that, right? Like, I think that the Celtics are going to have to win a pressure game six to, to knock them out, right? I don't think the Warriors are just going to roll over and, and give it to them in five games. But I also don't want to get too ahead of ourselves and, and crown them champs just yet either. So we'll, we'll see what ends we'll up see. happening. What's, what's game five going to be like? back in in san francisco what are the fans going to do are they going to boo celtics players know. in the streets and like how are they going to respond and will the celtics will marcus smart be able to take it oh no i can't even imagine like yeah so ridiculous it's so I, i'm what sorry did you think was going to happen it's like, the I'm finals I, we I, still I, take sports seriously in this city i know the nba is a league where it's people root for players not teams and all of that yeah 
We weren't going to shake hands and say, well, I hope we just get a competitive series. I hope we get an entertaining series. Hey, if you guys, if we win, you can come to our parade. If if, if you win, we'll go to yours. I, I know a lot of the country views sports that way now. Not here. Not here. Never here. We want, this, is, this is about us. This, yeah. is, this is about us. Look, at, so. I'm not going to flip the bird. I'm not going to curse at anybody. But I give people looks when I see, you know, Yankees hats around town or whatever. There's a... A guy in my building is a very nice guy, uh, but he's a Bills fan, and he likes to wear a Buffalo Bills hat around the the uh, apartment building. Whenever I see him, I say, "Hey, screw your hat, right? Like, t- like take the hat off. Like that's just how we're made, right? Like that's in our DNA. That that's our blood." And uh, look, I I don't love the fu stuff. Like maybe we can come up with something a little bit more creative. No, but- no, well, now now it's set. Now Here's it's set. Sort of I, yeah, I was absolutely. I was talking to somebody about this earlier. It, like, it, just leave it at this, right? In terms of those chants and all of that, this isn't the first time we've had this. This playoffs really is the year of the bird because remember it started with Kyrie behind the head and all of yeah, that, right? Yeah. Say what you will about Kyrie Irving, he really embraced that role of the villain. Oh yeah, and when he egged it on, he egged it on. He it felt like legitimately wanted more. He wanted all of the hate. He wanted to be in that spot. When it comes to Golden State. I don't think they know what they're up against. I think they're in over their heads. I think when they go out there and the staffer tells the reporter, I got flipped off 17 times. When Clay Thompson goes to the reporter and says, you know, I, I, when Clay Thompson goes to the presser and says, I don't think this is appropriate in front of children. I think they think that it's going to stop. They think we're the Golden State Warriors. The country loves us. The media loves us. We are the Kings. If we say it, it goes. If we say no more swearing, there will be no more swearing. Like, that's not how this works. No. You're only going to make it worse. I, I don't think they totally understand. And look, can they still come out and shoot the lights out and win? Absolutely. But it's in their heads. And I don't think they understand the can of worms they have opened in the last really 12, 24 hours. Yeah, by talking about it, some it, of these comments. it a lot worse. Yeah. And we, I, we wear this like a badge of honor. As we when should. You complain that you get flipped off 17 times one morning. We look at that and say, we only got them 17 times. Yeah. Like that's just careful what you're asking for. Here's the thing our job as fans is to help the home team win, right? Like in any way that we can, whether it's being really loud, whether it's giving them energy by, by cheering them on or whether it's getting in the opposing team's head, right? Like that's, that's our job when you are right. at, at a hockey game and it's the playoffs, like you chant the goalie's name, right? And you try to get in his head when you're, you know, you have a villain like Draymond Green, it's F you Draymond Green. Like that's, that's part of our role in this series. And if the fans can, sway it to three, one Celtics or, or even just help a little bit. Right. Like that, that's, that's all it takes. You know, like that's, we'll definitely take that. And yeah, I remember as a kid going to games with my dad and like the FU chance would start and I'd like, look at him, he'd look at me and he'd be like, you're like 11. Like, no, like, like no, no, no cursing. (laughs) For me, it was the opposite. My, oh, my mom did like, my dad was cool. That was like the one place I was allowed to swear. It was like, you can Yankees suck. I remember that was like my first ever exposure to it. That's not a swear. But even some of them, it was like, not when we leave, you can do it here. Not when we leave, you know, it's just part, it's part of the experience. It's part of growing up here. It was fun. All right, so uh, quickly, the Bruins telling Bruce Cassidy that he was going to be the coach next year and then firing him three weeks later. Is at his house. Is at his continue, house. Continues the clown show that is going on 
uh, on the other side of the TD Garden, right? The Bruins side of the TD Garden. Uh, as one team is two wins away from being NBA champions, the other team is an absolute disaster. Uh, I can understand needing some time to process the season and maybe coming to the conclusion weeks afterwards that you're going to go in a different direction. But if you're even 50-50 on it or 75-20, like why tell him he's back, right? Like why you can't tell somebody that they're they're coming back next year and then reverse course three weeks later, right? Just don't tell him anything. Just say, I need some time to digest and we'll see what happens, right? That would have been the right way to handle it. Instead, they tell Bruce uh, that you're coming back, you're going to coach out your contract at least, and then they fire him three weeks later. And he is, rightfully so, seems extremely pissed off uh, about the situation. Now he's saying that he might try to take Patrice Bergeron with him uh, to his next team. Uh, this is has a disaster. I mean, this was already a disaster, but it continues to be a disaster. I still can't believe they did it at his house. And I don't like I I always assume that stuff happened at the facility. I I don't yeah. know entirely. I know in the NFL it usually oh, does. Do you remember uh Tito Francona? Like the you know, the, the cameras on him leaving Fenway Park after they fired right, him. Right, yeah. Yeah. But it was, hey, I'm coming over. So then you got to offer him coffee, maybe some crackers, or right. you do one of those cheese platters or whatever, some gabagool, right? Charcuterie board. Yeah. Charcuterie board. That's what I'm thinking of. You know, yep. you're sitting, and then maybe his wife's home, maybe his kids are home. Yeah. By the way, we're taking your dream job from you after we said yeah. you have it for at least another year. Like, I, maybe that's just the business. I don't know. Like, I don't mean that necessarily to criticize Sweeney. I think there's plenty to criticize him for. I just, that whole, chain of events is so mind-blowing me somebody compared it to brady going over to Kraft's house to tell him he was leaving the yeah. patriots but that was brady was the one leaving right, right? and it, it was, was that was almost more respectful just get, you know it's in the off season like people are in right. different sides of the world sometimes like that was a respect thing this was a this is just no just he, terrible. He, he went to it he didn't even invite him over his own house yeah hey, come over we gotta talk you know right. no it was i'm coming over Break out, you know, you got to get a bottle yeah. of wine out now, get your, get the fireplace going, all that. Oh, and by the way, I got some bad news. Just mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Last night they showed some Bruins players at the, at the garden for the Celtics game. You got Charlie McAvoy in a sling, right? Uh, Matt yeah. Grislyk is with them in, in some sort of cast or sling or whatever. Brad Marchand's not going to be back until December or January. He's got double hip surgery. He's recovering from, Patrice Bergeron's a free agent, might play, might not play, might go with Bruce. Like, this is just – they might trade David Pasternak. Like, the list just keeps go, going on and on and on. And uh, this is not going to end well for the Bruins. Like, there's no – I just don't know how this this turns around. And this is not going to be like an Ime Adoka situation, right, where you hire the right no. manager and it turns the whole thing around. Uh, lastly, Red Sox out west, out west still – but uh, seven in a row for your Red Sox, Alex. Are you on? Are you excited? Are you on the bandwagon? Don't say or, it. Don't or say is it. it. Is it the A's and the Angels? The Angels have won what a franchise or lost a lost franchise record. Last yeah. night they tried making all their walk-up music Nickelback to snap that. I think they they or they didn't score a run. I think they got like two hit. Don't say it. Um, the offense is still quiet. They've won two of their last three, two of their last four, whatever it is, one to nothing. The offense yeah. has to get going. I'm not all the way. This is more what I think this team is. You know, they're going to go on some stretches. They're not like the 10 games under 500 team they were to start the year. Yeah. 
they do have the best record in baseball since like May 10th. I think I saw whatever date it was. Court shaved his beard. I, I love that about baseball, right? Let's just pull out an obscure date and like. It's not obscure. He shaved his beard. It's um, that's so baseball. It hurts. I, I, it's been enjoyable. I'm not ready to say I'm, I'm in on him yet. I, I still think they've got a ways to go. I'm, I'm a little more open minded now to them buying at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, really buying ahead of the trade deadline. I don't know if they can afford to wait until July 31st to make a move. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's at least been exciting. I, I'm in the minority. I love the West Coast road trips. I love staying up till like two in the morning. And you're on Twitter with like five or six other people watching the yeah, game. It's like just you. Is this it's real you, cozy? It's, it's you and Steve Peralt, right? Like it's you and, and Pete Blackburn's normally yeah. in there. It, it's this yeah. real cozy feeling. I like it. But um, yeah, no, it's been been fun baseball recently. They're about to be the only show in town. So we'll see if they can keep it going here in like two weeks. That's what I was about to say. They The clock's ticking, right? The Patriots right. just broke for summer break. The, uh, the Celtics, the finals one way or another is ending soon. So it's a Red Sox show here in a second, and, and we'll see if they're up for it once that happens. But Alex and I, speaking of shows, we'll be back on Tuesday. Normal schedule next week, Tuesday, Thursday. We'll do the Q&A show on Thursday. Maybe we'll do some roster breakdown on Tuesday. So some more mini camp takes and rosters and 53-mans and all that kind of stuff coming your way. And we'll keep carrying it throughout the offseason, and we'll make sure to stay uh, active even as the Patriots go on summer break here. But I wish we got to see practice today. Like, I'm glad, that, you know, that the 9 a.m. practice got, got canceled. Right. Well, but Hold on. Let me jump in here real quick. We had talked about doing this, I think, last year. And we never did it. Because this is this is the time of year it gets tough to fill shows. Yeah. If we were to bring back, like, clips of old Patriots games, like, old, like I don't know if we can get all 22, but, like, even just highlight clips yeah. of e- plays or players – I think we had this idea when we were talking about David Patton's cycle, right? To like break down David Patton's cycle. Is that something people would be interested in? Let us know in the comments, but that might be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. We got we got to fill some time and we can't only talk about roster battles and position breakdowns so often, so often right. right? You know, we do, we do that all the time anyway. So yeah, come in uh, and let us know if that would be something you'd be interested in. At least we can dig it up on YouTube on the TV copy. I'm not sure if I'll be able to get any all 22 of old Patriots games, but we can certainly find the the TV copy of whatever. And uh, I think that that would be a lot of fun. Do some reminiscing uh, and maybe look at some other things. I, I don't know if uh, people want to see, you know, not almost like more interesting to make it like not Brady, right? Like we've all seen the Brady right. highlights all, time and time again. It might be cool to break down some of the other things that have happened over the years as well. Or maybe just like games at moments. It doesn't have to be players. It could be yeah. like, you know, um, I wanted to say like a big fourth down maybe, but obviously the first one that comes to mind on a big fourth down is the good one. Yeah. But um, you know, things things like that. Maybe, maybe the fourth down stop in the in the Baltimore game in 14 in the playoffs. Like that's a big play that I feel like gets overlooked at times. Let us know what you want to see in the chat. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea. So Alex and I will be back throughout the off season. So keep it right here on Patriots Beat and on Patriots Press Pass. And we'll also discuss the other Boston sports teams with the Boston Sports Minute throughout the offseason as well. So we'll fill some time with that too. And we'll stick with the Celtics until the finals are over. And that will be exciting for everybody here in Boston. But until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. Go Celtics, F you Draymond, and we'll see you guys on Tuesday.